The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Game Podcast Network is brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, sports betting research platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast new YouTube page. The Hockey Guys are giving away a hoodie to celebrate their new YouTube channel. Register today at sportscampodcast.com slash HGP. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Game Podcast Network. It is currently Friday morning, January 5th, and I'm your host, always, Scott Rochelle, once again, going solo for this pod. Going to be a fun episode, a bit shorter, though, because we only have four matches to talk about because it is semifinal time in Brisbane and in Hong Kong. So we're going to preview all four matches and then get into the lock and dog picks at the end of the show, like always. But before we get into that, though, I do want to recap what happened in the quarterfinals, as well as the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock and dog, they did not go well. For the lock, we had the under 21 and a half games at minus 130 in the Nadal and Thompson match. Looked decent early on, not great. Nadal did win the first set 7 5, but he broke to win the first set. So he was serving to lead the second set. And if he ended up winning 6 3 or something quicker than that, we would have won, but that didn't materialize. And Thompson ended up coming back and winning the entire match in three. I'll talk about that match in particular in a second. But moving on to the dog, ended up losing kind of a heartbreaker as we had Kotov and Rusevori over two and a half sets. Kotov fought off a very solid Rusevori effort to really make the match a quick uh, straight set win as Kotov broke back when Rusevori was serving for the match at 5-4. And then Kotov kind of flipped the script there because he got the break and it seemed like momentum was on his side as he was up 4-1. In the tiebreaker. So we were three points away from catching the dog. And then Rusevori caught fire and won the final six points of the tiebreaker. So Kotov went from up 4-1 to losing 4-6. Uh, and that was how that ended up playing itself out. So went 0-2 on the lock and dog picks. To go through the actual matches and some takeaways, starting off with the... I'm going to use the Nadal match last. So I'm going to save that for last. But for the sake of Brisbane... Uh, we thought Safulwin would end up beating Arnaldi kind of comfortably, and he did, as he won in straight sets. I thought Rune would win against Duckworth, but I thought one of the sets at least would be competitive, and Rune did win a second set tiebreak, so that ended up turning into a bit of an entertaining final set there. You saw Dimitrov bury Hichikata, which I thought would happen. Dimitrov's been in great form, and I do think he's in line for a great potential opportunity to snap his ATP tournament winless streak because he's got a great draw and it's kind of all coming together for him. So we'll see what happens and we'll see if Dimitrov can end the curse and finally win an ATP title for the first time in several years. I'm going to save Nadal ma- the Nadal match for last. And moving on to Hong Kong, Rusevori did win in straight sets against Kotov. Mentioned it before with the dog recap, but Kotov had a chance there to win the set, and then he kind of fell apart there in the tiebreak. Offner looked really good against Batista Agut, so I thought Agut would look pretty sharp in that one. Didn't work out as Offner just raises level, and you saw Agut really just struggled to break through at various points in that match, but Offner looked good, and as a result, he won in straight sets. Then you had, in my opinion, the second biggest surprise of the morning, which was Tiafo losing, because Tiafo had owned Shang in the first two meetings. Shang was off of a massive marathon match, but there was some uh, time off in between uh, that last match and this one, so I guess Shang was able to recharge his batteries. Either way, the point is, Shang ended up getting the job done as he was able to pull off the upset in straight sets, I might add, as Tiafo seemed a bit flat. Shang had multiple 
uh, three set marathons in the first two rounds, then buried the guy that ended up beating him comfortably in the first two meetings. Did not see that coming. I recognize Shang as being a very, very good young Chinese player, but I do want to point out that I thought Tiafa would win that one, and he did not. So that picked up a loss there uh, based on the leans, but we did get the last match right as we had Rublev and Fee and Afiz. We thought Fees would win a set. We liked the over two and a half sets, but we did think Rublev would win, and that was the case as he won the first set in a competitive 6-4. Then Rublev got destroyed in the second set 6-1, and then bounced back to win the final set 6-2. So Rublev is our only outright remaining for both tournaments, and he's in a decent spot to get it done. Once again, reading off the semifinalists, you have Rublev, Shang, Offner and Rusevori. So it is a pretty good situation for Rublev and hopefully gets the job done to cash us our first outright of the season. But for the sake of the recap for Friday morning, I have to kind of separate the Nadal match uh, because that was an insane spectacle. And I actually woke up early to watch a decent portion of it because a reminder, since I am on the East Coast, the match did start at 5.15 a.m., Eastern time. I will admit that I did miss about the first set and a half, but I did end up catching the back half of the match. I saw the tiebreaker in the second set, and I saw Thompson look extremely sharp. And I was trying to think of a fair comp because I've seen Thompson play before. I think he's fine. I backed him and made some money on grass in previous years, but he's been around for a while. And there are some guys who you think have a certain ceiling, and then you watch them put together this insane masterpiece which kind of seemed to come out of nowhere because Thompson looked very good in the first round against Vukic. Then he was, I don't want to say fully lucky, but he didn't have to play a second-round match because Umber got injured and had to withdraw. So Thompson got a walkover in the second round. Nadal, though, was dominant in the first two matches. Looked very good against team, and he killed Kubor. And then you figured, all right, Nadal was probably going to win. I thought that. That's why I had the under. Uh, but looking at the match and how it played itself out... You can tell from the get-go that it was going to be a competitive one because both players were serving well. You saw a situation where Nadal, for the most part, seemed to have the match under control as he ended up winning the first set 7-5. You figured, all right, Thompson gave his best effort. Wasn't enough. Nadal was able to win a very competitive first set. And you figured, all right, maybe Thompson's going to fold in the second set. Then you saw Nadal get three break points at the... Uh, 1-2 game, and you thought, okay, Nadal's got some break points after fighting off a break point in the previous service game. And you thought, all right, Thompson's going to lose this service game, and he's probably going to lose somewhere in the realm of 6-3, 6-4, give or take. And then Thompson fought him off, and he figured, okay, you know, this match has been competitive. Nadal had a chance to kind of shut the door there, and Thompson wasn't going away. And then Thompson ended up fighting off a match point in the 4-5 uh, service game. Then Nadal had two match points in the second set tiebreak, which Thompson fought off, and then hit a crazy overhead slam from the baseline to win the second set tiebreak. I have to also mention the insane volley he had on the backhand slam by Nadal uh, in the latter stages of that second set tiebreak. And then Thompson was able to fight off a couple of Difficult service games uh, where Nadal threatened, but Thompson held. Then Thompson converted on his only break point of the entire uh, third set, and he was able to win 6-3 in the final set. But to go back to what I was saying, there are some guys that you feel like have a certain ceiling, you've watched in the past, and then they surprise you with a certain gem, a masterclass effort, 
And I was trying to think of a great comparison. And the best comparison I could think of is actually a fellow countryman of uh, Thompson's because I was trying to think of when Millman had that performance against Federer. And that was in the U.S. Open. And it was, I believe, in 2018. I I think that was when it was. But you kind of saw Millman play in the past. It was a four-set marathon where Millman did win. It was September of 2018 in the round of 16. Federer was in great form in that event. And you might remember that Millman lost the first set 6-3. And you figured, okay, I've seen Millman play before. He's talented, but Federer's Federer, ranked number two in the world at the time. And you figured that Millman would probably kind of get, I don't want to say destroyed, but he thought Federer would win comfortably. And then you saw Millman really go for it. And he started unloading on both wings. He decided going into that second set onward, listen, I might lose to you, but I'm going to take it to you. And if I'm going to lose, it's going to be because of my racket, not yours. And that was kind of the exact same philosophy that Thompson had in this match. Nadal, we saw in the first couple rounds, looked very sharp. And he did seem to be... I don't want to say close to 100%, but Nadal looked like he had no ill effects from the injury rehab process, and he seemed like he was ready to roll. And you saw Millman in that match, once again, kind of overpower Federer from the baseline using a lot of power that I wasn't sure he had during that match. I remember I was in college at the time, uh, but I do think looking at that match we just saw between Thompson and Nadal, Thompson kind of upped the firepower which I didn't think he was capable of. I've never seen Thompson play like that in his entire career. I thought that he was a guy with a pretty decent, crafty serve, and he was mostly going to be a patient baseline rallier, and he decided, screw it. Listen, Nadal is one of the best ralliers of all time. If I get into a bunch of long rallies, I might not have much success, which is why I thought Nadal would win. But props to Thompson. He changed the game plan as the match went on, and it seemed like going into the... Late second set, early third set, he was willing to make the match extremely, extremely physical, and he was willing to go for even more difficult shots in order to end points quickly, and he was really willing to push Nadal around the court, which I didn't expect to see throughout the course of that match. So props to Thompson. He found a gear that I didn't know he had, and I have to give him props for that because Nadal was in good form. I know a lot of people were going to automatically kind of dismiss the loss by Nadal because they're going to talk about how he just came back and how he wasn't physically equipped to handle that. I don't buy that for a second. Match was three hours and 18 minutes. Yes, it was physical. Yes, it is hot in Australia. Having said that, Nadal looked fine. I'm not going to come out here and tell you that Nadal looked sharp in the first two matches just to use injury as an excuse to lose to Thompson in the third match. Nadal was fine. Thompson outplayed him, just simply put. Now, you could argue that Nadal in his prime would have beaten Thompson. I don't care about that. It's 2024. I'm not going to reflect on how Nadal would have beaten Thompson if it was 2021. I don't care enough. Point is, Nadal, I thought, played a very good match that would have beaten a lot of people on tour, but Thompson wasn't having it. And Nadal, at the end of the day, no matter how old he might be and no matter how the rehab process was, he had three match points and he choked them and he ended up losing the match. I got to call it as it is. Now, I do have to point out that I am encouraged by Nadal's overall effort in Brisbane, and I do think that he's in line for big things in 2024. Not saying he's going to win a Grand Slam, but I do think he can win several ATP tournaments, and we'll see how he looks health-wise going into the French Open, where he should be one of the favorites to win the whole thing. But the point is, Nadal should be encouraged, and his fans should be encouraged, by the tournament he ended up having. But... 
I'm not going to dismiss what Thompson just did because of Nadal's injury history and what's happened over the last couple of months. Nadal was in great form. He looked very solid throughout the entire match, but Thompson took it to him, and Thompson won the match. I'm going to give him props there. So props to Thompson. I wonder how physically he's going to hold up after having to go through a three-hour and 18-minute ordeal in route to making it to the semifinals. Now he's facing off against Dimitrov. I know tennis fans might be a bit salty because I'm sure a lot of us did want to see Dimitrov against Nadal, who looked like the two best players by a wide margin in Brisbane entering the matches on Friday morning. But the point is now you have Thompson against Dimitrov and you have Rune taking on Safulin. And for the Hong Kong tournament, you have Offner taking on Rusevori and you have Rublev taking on Chang. As for the United Cup, I want to briefly mention the match between Sitsipas and Zverev. Zverev won in straight sets. Another year of Sitsipas being the same guy. Simply put, he's not going to win a Grand Slam again, uh, or at least uh, for this year. I don't think he's ever going to win one. I've said it for the last year and change. I don't think Sidney Paz is mentally tough enough to get it done. And I question all the distractions on the side. So the point is, you saw Sidney Paz kind of get... Where I, he ended up getting, I don't want to say dominated by Zverev, but it was pretty comfortable. And I can't say I'm totally surprised. But anyway, time to get into the actual previews for the semifinal matches. We're going to start off with Brisbane. Because going through the actual order based on the clock, you have Brisbane starting at midnight Eastern time, and Hong Kong starts at 1.30 a.m. Eastern time. So we're going to start off with Rune taking on Safuan. Now, Rune, once again, has had a pretty interesting path so far, as he won in straight sets against uh, Duckworth in the Friday match, but he really didn't look great in the process, but he still got the job done. He's minus 210 on the money line. Safuan is plus 180, and you have Safuan at around plus 2.5 games at minus 105. Rune minus two and a half games at minus 115. Over-unders at 23 and a half, plus 105 to the over, uh, 22 and a half at minus 135 to the over. And as for the actual set wagering, you can get Rune to win straight sets at plus 125. You can get Safulin to win a set at minus 155. And you can also get the match to go three at plus 135. Now to go through the path of Safulin, uh, he had a couple of tough matches early on as he had to go to three sets against the likes of Papyrin and uh, Shelton, but he was able to fight off some match points against Papyron, and he came back and won that one. Then he had a very competitive first set against Arnaldi, and then Arnaldi was cooked after that, and it looked like one might skunk him in that set, but he eventually won 6-2. As for Rune, once again, he looked fine against Duckworth. You can make the argument he hasn't played great competition. Purcell, we know I'm not a fan of. Shevchenko was a good win. I'll give him props there, because I think Shevchenko was alive to win that match, and it ended up going three. Duckworth I'm not a fan of, but I did expect Rune to struggle at times, and he did, but he was able to hold his nerve and win the final set in a tiebreak. But the point is, I do think that Safulin is pretty alive to actually win this match. I think Rune has had great spurts in this tournament, but he's still unpredictable, and we know that he's still a head case, and I do think that Safulin has the game to beat him. I think it's going to be a fun match, a very entertaining match full of a lot of pace from the forehand side in particular, from both sides of the court. But I think you're looking at a spot where Safulin's definitely mispriced here. I think plus 180 is kind of ridiculous. I think this match should be closer to Rune minus 140, in my opinion. I think Rune should be favored. I'm not going to tell you right now Safulin should be a favorite, but I think that it's going to be a very close match. And I do think this price is kind of absurd. Safulin is a very good player. He's beaten good competition. I said at the end of last year, I think he's in line to win an ATP title within the next calendar year. 
and maybe he does it in January. We're going to see what happens, but I'm a big fan of his game. I have been for the last couple months, and I do think that Rune, despite being a player with higher upside, we know he's very capable of losing to anybody because he gets in his own head, and I do think that the unforced errors can be an issue for him. I think Safulin's alive, so I'm going to take Safulin plus the games. I do think that he has a shot to win the match, and I think plus 180 is an insane price. I also think Safulin to win a set at minus 155 is kind of cheap. I, I thought that it was going to be closer to like minus 180 or so, but I think Safulin is definitely wanting to win a set because Rune lost a set to Purcell and to Shevchenko. I think Safulin gets on the board, so give me Safulin to keep that match interesting, and I think that Rune is too big of a favorite for that spot. Moving on to the next match, you have Dimitrov taking on Thompson. Dimitrov is a pretty big favorite at minus 350. Thompson is the underdog at plus 280. You have Dimitrov minus 3.5 games at minus 125, and you have Thompson plus 3.5 games at plus 105. Over-under is at uh, 22.5. The over is minus 105. Under is minus 115. And if you do want to get the 21 net, you can get the over at minus 155. The under is plus 125. As for the set wagering, you can get the match to go to three sets at plus 160. And you can get Dimitrov to win in straight sets at minus 125. So to go through the head-to-head for this matchup, they have faced off two times before. Uh, they have actually split. They faced off in 2019. Thompson won in Miami. In competitive straight sets, 7-5-7-5. They faced off, though, in 2022 in Indian Wells, and Dimitrov did win in straight sets, 7-6-6-2. Now, Dimitrov has looked incredible in this event. He was very good at the end of 2023, and that's carried over because he's not dropped a set. In fact, he's won comfortably as he was able to... Actually, no, he did drop a set. He lost the first set to Murray, and since then, he's been incredible. So he won the last two sets against Murray, then he killed Altmaier, 6-1-6-2, and then he killed Hachikata. 6164. Now Thompson had two matches and he's in the fourth round because he was able to get a walkover against Umber, but he won the first match against Vukic in straight sets, then he had the marathon against Nadal. The real problem I have for Thompson in this matchup is the lack of rest time because he had an insanely long match and he was the final match of the day. So he had ev- he has even less time to recover. 3 hours and 18 minutes while you're looking at Dimitrov's match and he's been coasting recently. That match against Hichikata only took an hour and 18 minutes, so he was on the court for two hours less than Thompson. I think Dimitrov's in a great spot to once again win his first ATP title in a long time. So I've been critical of Dimitrov in the past because, once again, I do acknowledge him as being a historical choker, but I have to at least give him kudos for the recent form. He's been great, and I do think that he's easily the best player in the remaining four based on current form. I know Rune's ranking might be better, but based on how these players have looked, Dimitrov and Nadal entering Friday were the two best players in this event. And then Thompson was able to upset Nadal. But I do think it's a very bad scheduling spot for Thompson. I know that he's in front of his home country fans. That might help. But I do think Dimitrov should win this match comfortably based on how fatigued Thompson might be. He was fortunate to have an extra day off uh, where he could get some extra I'd say prepping or maybe some extra rest in prior to the Nadal match. But now it's his first back-to-back of the year, and he's off a three-plus-hour marathon. It's rough. Give me Dimitrov to win in straight sets at minus 125. I think he's in line to look sharp, and I do think that he should be able to win this match in probably under two hours. Maybe he'll get a competitive set, but as the match wears on, I have to question the reserve stamina levels, the energy levels of Thompson. And I think Dimitrov can 
go into deep waters and end up and end up uh, winning this match by wearing down Thompson physically. Now, moving on to Hong Kong, you have the matchup between Rusevori and Offner. Rusevori is minus 170. Offner is plus 150. As for the actual spread, Rusevori minus two and a half games is minus 105. Offner plus two and a half is minus 115. Over-under is at 22.5. The over is minus 115. Under is minus 105. And if you want to look at the set wagering, you can get the over 2.5 sets at plus 145. Rusevori to win in straight sets, by the way, is a plus 145. So looking at the path of both players, I got to start off with the head-to-head. They have phased off one time before. Rusevori did beat Offner in straight sets in 2019 in the Davis Cup. So four years ago, don't know if I could actually use that for any type of information, but I want to mention it. Now, Rusevori had two straight uh, competitive matches that went three sets, beat Bonzi in three, beat Kashanov in three, then beat Kotov in two. Really wish Kotov didn't choke away that second set tiebreaker, but still, point is Rusevori has to look pretty sharp. Offner, though, has only dropped one set, and he beat McDonald 6-1-6-2, beat Struff in three sets, all tiebreaks, and then ended up beating Batista Gut in straight sets. I think Rusevori is too big of a favorite. Now, I know I said the same thing yesterday, and Kotov ended up losing in straight sets, but Offner's been good, just simply put. I think 170 is kind of a crazy price uh, to be laying with Rusevori. He might win, but that's a really big money line. Like, I think these players are pretty close in terms of talent, and if you want to go in terms of ranking, uh, Offner's 43, Rusevori's 69, so both players are close, and Offner is viewed according to the ATP rankings, which, which I know is a flawed metric, but still, the point is Offner is viewed as being a better player. I think the value is on Offner. I, I just think there's no value at 170 on Rusevori. Can he win this match in straight sets? Sure, but I just think that this price is off, and I do think for a guy that has been pretty up and down in his entire career, I recognize the upside with Rusevori, and the firepower is definitely there, but Offner has quietly been a very solid ATP player for the last year and change. And I do think that he's in line to potential, to uh, potentially get the job done. Batista Gut, I know, is up there in years at this point, but that's not an easy opponent to face. And Offner beat him pretty comfortably. And I do think looking at this matchup, I think it's more up in the air than the oddsmakers suggest. I'm going to lean to the over in this match. I think you might see three sets once again. So I do like the plus 145. But plus 150 on the money line does seem pretty large to me. I'm going to lean Offner in that one. I just think the value is there with the dog. And moving on to the final match, you have the biggest favorite on the card in either tournament. You have Rublev at minus 750. You have Shang at plus 550. As to the game spread, you have Rublev minus 5 at even money. You have Shang at plus 5 at minus 120. The over-unders at 21 flat. Unders minus 115. The over is minus 105. If you want the set wagering, Rublev to win in straight sets is minus 180. Chang to win a set is plus 150. And the match to go three sets, by the way, is plus 190. So both players ended up having very different experiences in their quarterfinal matches because Rublev had a bit of a marathon against Phils. Yes, the two final sets were lopsided in opposite direction, but the point is Rublev did win that one in three, and he also went to a tiebreaker against Brody in the first round. So Rublev's looked fine. He hasn't looked amazing. I don't think he's looked like a top 10 player in the world so far in this event, top five player in the world. And Shang has been in some difficult matches, but he had his easiest match against Tiafo on Friday morning as he won 6-4, 6-4. Now, Tiafo's a head case. That's why I don't really back him. So you can argue that Tiafo is a guy that you just can't expect the unexpected from. And a no-show from Tiafo 
is something that might surprise some people, not me. In that case, it did surprise me because I thought Chang would be exhausted after the two uh, wars that he had. Yes, there was a day off in between. since This is going to be the first time he's played without any rest this season. So you can argue that it is a spot for Shang to maybe sneak up and surprise Rublev. I think Rublev's going to win. I'm not picking Shang to win this event. I do think that the crowd support might help Shang. But I do think if I was going to take anything in this match, it probably would be leaning to Shang plus the games. Five's a lot of games. Like, I think Rublev's going to win, but he didn't cover it against Brody, didn't cover it against Phils. I know Phils is a good player, but still. The point is, I do think Rublev has been more vulnerable than the odds suggest. And I do think it's kind of a growing theme for this episode. There might be some value with the dog. Now, I'm not picking him to win. Can I see him winning a set? Sure. I think that if you want to go for over two and a half sets at plus 190, there might be a sneaky play. But I do think that Rublev's going to win. He doesn't care about style points. I think Shank can hang in there. I think he's in line to potentially win a set. But I think Rublev wins the match. I'm going to lean to the plus five here with Shang at minus 120. That's going to wrap it up, though, for the actual semifinal match previews. And now it's time for the Lock and Dog picks. But for any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Underdog Fantasy has a way to play alongside your favorite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball, and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favorite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks, and maybe make a little money over Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. And remember, when you sign up, use the promo code SGPN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by the Hockey Gambling Podcast because they just launched a new YouTube channel, and as a result, they're giving away a Hockey Gambling Podcast hoodie to celebrate. So enter the contest at sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP, the sportsgampodcast.com slash HGP. We're also brought to you by Game Time. I don't know about all of you, but I personally love attending sporting events in person, and it can be very difficult to actually find a ticket provider that you can trust. That changed, though, for me when I found Game Time, because Game Time is the fast and easy way to get tickets to pretty much any event you want, whether it's sports, concerts, if you want to go to a comedy show, for example, Game Time does have you covered. I do think my favorite feature with the actual platform is the images of seat views, which basically means that if you are going to think about buying a ticket, it will show you the exact view you would be getting if you purchase that ticket so you know exactly what you are going to be paying for, which can prevent you from getting an obstructed view, etc. But I do recommend using it. And they also have very solid flash deals for football, basketball, baseball, and concerts, theater, and more. And the game time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section or uh, and row for less. Game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Send tickets out the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code CFBX for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code CFBX for $20 off. Down game time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price guaranteed. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets. Win bigger by betting smarter. The end of all season with Hall of Fame Bets. Sports Center Analytics platform for parlays, player props, and game lines. Research every NFL, NBA, and soccer bet with historical stats and data. Enter any parlay idea, no matter how ridiculous it might seem, into Hall of Fame Bets' revolutionary parlay optimizer tool to get hit rates broken down by leg, as well as an expected probability for the entire parlay. Sort all players by hit rate for any bet to learn which players are hot and which picks have value. So stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN 
You get 50% off your first month today. Start researching, start winning with Hall of Fame bets. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished previewing the semifinal matches in Brisbane and Hong Kong. Now it's time for the lock and dog pick. Starting off with the lock, I am going to go to Brisbane. I'm going to look at the matchup between Dimitrov and Thompson. And for this one, I know I said last year, if I ever back Dimitrov again, you have the right to, to uh, slap me in the face. I'm not going to officially back him, but I am going to take a play that involves Dimitrov. I'm going to go with the team total under 13 games at minus 125. Couple ways to get there. Either Dimitrov wins this match comfortably, like he has in the last couple of rounds of this event, and you see Dimitrov win this match in about an hour and change, or maybe Thompson shocks him, and you see Dimitrov choke away another golden opportunity to win a tournament, and you see the match end quickly. The point is 13 games for a team total is a lot. Now, you have a push draw if there's a 7-5 or 7-6 in there, but I just have too many questions about Thompson's overall stamina following a three-plus-hour marathon where he played probably the best match of his entire career with no days off in between. Dimitrov, I think, is in a great spot once again to reach his first final in a couple of months and to potentially win his first title in several years. But there's a couple ways to get there. I think that minus 125 on the under 13 is pretty similar to the under one and a half, uh, to the, uh, sorry, the minus one and a half sets at minus 125. Yet you're getting extra draws because you are also including the chance that Thompson wins in straight sets and Dimitrov still goes under. But simply put, I do think that 13 and minus 125 is a good price. Kind of fading in a way, a guy off of a three-set marathon that took three-plus hours, but you're also leaving room for the potential Dimitrov classic no-show in a semifinal. So give me Dimitrov team total under. 13 games at minus 125 as my lock. For my dog, I actually am going to stick with Brisbane, and I am going to go to the Safulin and Rune match. You know what? I think I am going to swing for the fences here. Give me Safulin money line at plus 180. The price just seems way off to me. I think Rune is more vulnerable than the oddsmakers suggest. We saw him struggle against Purcell in the first round, had a moment against Shevchenko where the match was in the balance. Safulin's a player that I really, really like, and even though Rune, I recognize, has more upside Safulin, I think, has the game to make Rune uncomfortable. And once again, Rune in this event has faced off against the likes of Purcell, against the likes of Shevchenko, and the likes of Duckworth. It's a pretty decent step up in competition. You can argue that Shevchenko is a guy that definitely can approach a top 50 level if he's able to replicate his performance at the end of 2023. But the point is, I do think that Rune has a game that is very volatile. And I do think that Safulin can surprise Rune if he isn't careful. And plus 180 is a very, very good value play, in my opinion, because I do think that Safulin has the game to make life difficult for Rune. And I do think that the forehand and his ability to volley can end points quickly, can make Rune run around the court. And Rune maybe has a mental, so, uh, I'd say issue throughout the match, which we've seen in, in the past where he kind of gets in his own head, and as a result, he might end up losing focus for a couple minutes, which could result in Zafulin getting an edge in the match. So give me Zafulin at plus 180 as my dog. So once again, my picks for the episode, the lock is going to be on Dimitrov team total under 
13 games at minus 125, and my dog will be Saful and Moneyline at plus 180. If you get scared off by that, maybe I don't mind the over two and a half sets at plus 135, but I do think Safulin should be pretty live to win this, and it's going to be a value play because that money line price is definitely off. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. A reminder, we'll back once again for the final in uh, Brisbane and in Hong Kong. Until then, though, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.